Amen. So what I want to share with you this morning, uh, usually I, I love, I'm an expositor of the, of the Bible. I love to take the Bible uh, in context, verse by verse, and preach through a passage of Scripture and see what God has laid out for us. But that's not what I'm going to do this morning. This morning I feel led to do something a little bit different. And I don't know how many of you were with us. I want to say it was a couple of weeks ago we had our annual congregational meeting. We had it here in Arlington. And uh, we try, we're trying to do that each year now to just kind of give a report of where we've been and uh, where we are and then also where we're going. And so uh, I took a little bit of time that night to give an overview of what we call a, a vision for Christ Church coming up for 2019 and really going into 2020. And so that's what I, what I want to do with you this morning is to take an opportunity to share this, this vision um, with you, and the title of my message is simply this, Changing the World One Person at a Time. Changing the World One Person at a Time. So let me read this to you uh, before we get started, and I, th- I think this may help set the backdrop for what I want to share with you this morning. In uh, today's world, there are over 7 billion people, divided up in approximately 24,000 different people groups. Of those 24,000 people groups, 12,000, roughly half, are considered reached, meaning that they have had some exposure to the good news of Jesus Christ. Cultures where there is a maybe a church movement that has been established. But on the other hand, there's another 12,000 people groups representing some 3.5 billion people who have no viable Christian representation or gospel presence. These groups include 4,000 Muslim people groups, 3,000 tribal people groups, 2,000 Hindu people groups, 1,000 Chinese people groups, 1,000 Buddhist people groups, and all other people groups as well. There is virtually no gospel presence. Now, when I, when I give you those numbers, how does it make you feel? It makes me feel overwhelmed. Like, I can't even comprehend 7 billion, 3.5 billion. I mean, right here in the Memphis metropolitan area, I mean, we have over a million people. That's a lot of people, right? And I've heard pastors and church planners and missionaries, and, and we'll, they'll throw these numbers out to a church and say, you know, there's, there's all these people groups all over the world. There's billions of people today on the face of the planet that have never heard the gospel. And listen, I'm pro-mission 100%. We support missionaries in, in several different contexts, on several different continents. I will always be pro-missionary. But I think something that we fail to do as a church is we fail to communicate the everyday mission, the everyday responsibility of each and every one of us as believers and disciples and followers of Jesus Christ to bring that number, that seven billion, three and a half billion number, to bring it down to our world and remind us of this one truth right here. God never called you and me to reach the whole world. I've heard that be said so many times. God did not call you and me to reach the whole world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it is the church collectively, yes, the church collectively, we are given the mandate to go and make disciple of all nations. There's no doubt about it. The collective church, that's what Jesus left us with with his marching orders. But when it comes down to you and me as individuals, God never called us 
to reach the whole world. Listen, I don't care who you are. There's no way we could ever have that kind of a presence on earth. If we spent every minute of every day of every working hour that we had, there's no way we could reach everybody on the face of the earth. That's why I believe as far as a vision for Christ church, I believe God is trying to teach you and me how to change the world one person at a time. Make it really, really simple. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. I want to, I want to read something. Um, this, this may help you give a, a pretty good illustration. One of my favorite movies of all time is Schindler's List. Anybody ever seen Schindler's List? If you haven't, you ought, you ought, to, you ought to go see it. Liam Neeson is, is the lead actor in that. He's a, a German Christian who ends up saving hundreds of Jews during the Holocaust. There's a new film coming out. Um, well, no, this, this was a 2009 film um, about Irina Sindler, who was a Polish nurse, and it said that she, in her lifetime, reportedly saved over 2,500 Jewish children during World War II in the time of the Holocaust. But I want to tell you something that we need to remember. There were a lot of Christians in Germany and in France and in Poland who did nothing to help the Jewish people during the Holocaust. And I guarantee you, when the war was over and all the smoke cleared and the concentration camps were shut down and the ovens where they were burning Jewish people alive were discovered, I guarantee you when the gravity of that most horrific time in human history, arguably, finally was over, I promise you there were Christians, real believers, who had lived through that and had not made an attempt to save one person because they were afraid. They were intimidated. They were afraid. It may have cost them their own what? It may have cost them their own life, but they had to live the rest of their life knowing that they could have done something. Now, they may not have saved 2,500, right? But they could have what? They could have saved one. And I often wonder, when I think about the day I face Jesus in the judgment seat, we all as believers will face Jesus in what's called the judgment seat. And that's not like this terrifying time where we're going to be condemned. No, that's going to be the time where we understand what we did with the stewardship, with the time, treasure, and talents, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, what we were given, and how what kind of stewards we were on the face of this earth in our allotted time on this earth, which is a very short time when you think about it in the big scheme of things. And there'll be a time when all of us as believers will stand before the Lord Jesus. And listen, I do believe at that moment that all of us will experience some sense of loss because at that moment we will realize I could have done more I should have done more how many Christians will die and live an entire life of being a believer and stand before the Lord Jesus and when their accounting of their life is is, is presented before the Lord, how many Christians will have to say, I brought nobody into your kingdom? I did nothing. I don't know if that's going to be a greater sense of loss than at that moment. That's why I do believe that there will be a time it says that in the new heaven and the new earth, Jesus will have to do what? He's going to have to wipe some tears 
out of our eyes. He'll, he will wipe away every tear. It's going to be okay. You're, you're not going to be condemned, right? We understand that. But there will be a moment of loss for those of us who have failed to do the simple thing that God has called us to do as his witnesses. And that is to reach one person at a time. And when we say it that way, it makes it very, very simple. Let me give you the difference between a mission and a vision. Ready? The mission of Christ's church, to know Christ, to make him known. It's on, the, it's on the banner out there in the hallway. As long as this church will be here and God allows us to be here, that banner right there is never going to change. Because a mission statement never what? Never changes. What book of the Bible have we been preaching through for the last year and a half? The book of Acts. We titled that whole series, The Great Commission Continues. Right? The book of Acts is open-ended. It doesn't have an ending. I think Luke, the author of the book of Acts, did that on purpose because he wanted to communicate a message. This is how the church started. This is how the gospel began to spread throughout all the nations, and it's still what? It's still going to this very day. Because our mission, the Great Commission, the commission to go and make disciples, to be disciples, to make disciples, to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, that's never going to change. And we all probably know, and I know how faithful Randy Lockley is to preach the gospel and to challenge you with the Great Commission every single week, day after day, week after week, we're challenging our people. But listen to me, here's what makes the difference. That's what we know we're supposed to do. Not necessarily how to do it. There's a big difference, right? We know what we're supposed to do. A sheep is supposed to stay close to his what? His shepherd. A sheep is looking for some good food to eat. That's why you're here. You want to get what? You want to get fed. A sheep knows that if it wanders away from the flock, there's what out there? There's danger out there. There's potential catastrophe. You could really get hurt if you separate yourself from the flock. That's why we, we talk about accountability and the, the value of having the local church around us, around us and the relationships we build here at the church to, to hold each other accountable and bear each other's burdens and stay protected in, inside the flock. Right? Like a sheep understands all of these things. But I'm going to tell you something. Many times as shepherds, if we're not careful, we're doing all these good things and we're protecting our people and we're preaching truth and we're feeding you the substance of God's word and we're leading you to by the still waters and we're trying to refresh you through the presence of the Holy Spirit, inviting the Lord to, to move in your life and in your heart and we're out there, but here's the difference. Sometimes as shepherds if we're not careful, we'll just start to what? We'll just start to wonder and we're not going anywhere. I'm not saying necessarily that's what's been happening at Christ Church, but when God laid this upon my heart, it was the, the conviction in my heart to say, yes, we've been telling our people for a year and a half, this is what we're supposed to do, but are we telling our people how to do it? We're telling our people to go and make disciples, but we're not necessarily showing you the direction how to get there. And so, guys, today's message is going to be very different than probably anything you've ever heard me share. It's going to be very practical. And again, it's going to be the overview of what I believe God is going to be able to use in my life, in your life, in the life of this church for us as leaders to begin to show you practical, give you practical tools to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and to be able to teach you 
how to become a disciple maker, how to become a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ in very practical ways in the influence that God has given you all around you and, and to make it so simple that it's not overwhelming you anymore to think we got to save the whole world. No, whose job was that? That's Jesus' job. He came to save the whole world. We're coming as disciples to change the world one person at a time. And so this is what I call a vision statement, a vision proposition, okay? And so this is where we talk about each one, reach one, teach one. I'm going to break down these three different categories as best that I can this morning to help you see that our mission statement never changes, but this is something we're going to try to emphasize for 2020, especially to try to help you get a handle and give you the tools necessary to be more effective in carrying out the Great Commission. So I'm going to be skipping around the Bible a lot this morning, so if you have your Bible or your tablet or whatever, just kind of be prepared if you want to follow along. And so what we're going to do is jump out the very first um, passage right here from Acts chapter 16. And again, I love the book of Acts as we've been preaching through it. But the first thing I want to share with you this morning is that each one of us is personally responsible to trust in Christ on our own for salvation. And I kind of I put some of these things, uh, redundancy for a reason, okay? I, again, each one personally responsible on our own. This is personal salvation. So I just don't, I want to remind us to the very beginning, we, we can't skip over this because in, in any, any crowd of people this big, I never want to presume that you all are here in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That may not be the case, okay? And so I love the picture as Paul and Silas are in Philippi and they began preaching the gospel. And of course, like always, a riot happens. They're dragged off into prison. An earthquake shakes the prison that night as Paul and Silas are chained to the prison dungeon. They begin singing hymns to the Lord. God brings a violent earthquake. The jailer upstairs, he just knows that his life is over because any jailer in that day knows if they lost a prisoner, it was certain what? Certain death. He comes in, he knows the prison doors are, are, are busted open, so he comes down there and, look, the guy's about to commit suicide. And Paul says, do not harm yourself. We're still here. Paul knew it was an opportunity. He could have run out of that prison fast. He said, no, this is an opportunity. And the, and the jailer, just overwhelmed, comes to them, falls on his knees, and he says, sirs, what must I do to be what? To be saved. And Paul gives him the most basic, simple gospel proclamation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And then he goes on to say, you and your what? And your household. But don't miss this. He gathered the whole household around after the jailer uh, puts his trust in Jesus. And, and Paul and Silas are able to share the gospel with every individual in that household. Okay, so, so we, not, we can't overlook the fact that you and I today are personally responsible. Listen, your mom can't believe for you. Your grandparents can't believe for you. Pastor Marcus can't believe for you. Your Sunday school teacher, your friend, nobody else in the whole world is responsible for your salvation except for who? Except for you, okay? I, and when I counsel people and I, and I begin to ask them, tell me a little bit about your story. Tell me your testimony. And when they start going into, well, my mom was the most faithful Christian who ever lived. And, you know, she drug me to church every... When I start hearing that, it gives me a little bit of a red flag because I'm like, okay, let's make sure you're not putting your faith in your mom's faith. Right? That doesn't work that way. We don't get into heaven by default or by association, Okay? 
The gospel call is an individual call for each and every one of us. That's the first thing when we talk about each one matters. And, and that's going to that's gonna be important when we do go out and we, we begin to pray. And I'm going to share all of this with you in a minute about when God places that one individual on your heart who maybe God may be using in your life and you using in their life to reach them. Remember, it's a personal call. It's an individual response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two. Each one of us is per, must personally commit to follow Christ daily in discipleship. Emphasize the word daily. That's why I like Luke's um, in, in, uh, excuse me, translation or Luke's account of when Jesus begins to share with his disciples. Listen to what Luke says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Listen to what he says. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Again, himself, herself, this is individuals, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. Whoever would lose his life for my sake will save it. Now we're going to get into the whole discipleship part more at the end. But I just want to remind you again this morning. Children, your parents are not the ones that are responsible for your discipleship. Parents, nobody else is responsible for your discipleship, for you being a faithful disciple, a committed disciple. And listen, here's what we have to be reminded of as Christians. Every day that God grants us life and our eyes open in the morning and we wake up, listen, we need to understand that at that moment, Jesus is waiting and he's saying, okay, I've given you another day. Now come after and what? Come follow me. I know you got plans, I know you got to go to work, I know you got homework to do, I know you got your whole agenda laid out, all that kind of stuff. Okay, that may be fine and well, but you need to understand that every day we wake up, it's a commitment, a daily conscious commitment to say, all right, Lord Jesus, I'm being called to follow you as a disciple, and nobody else can do that for you, right? Pretty simple, but it needs to be affirmed. Number three, each one of us becomes a contributing member of the collective body of Christ. I was talking to uh, somebody just this morning who <clears throat> was able to come and help us uh, yesterday at our help group, and his testimony was simply this. Hey, you know, God is God. He's working in my life, and, he, and he's calling me to, to, to start contributing more. I'm, I'm gr- I want to grow more in my, in my walk. I, he said, I didn't want to be a believer anymore. I want to be a follower. That's what I'm talking about here. Because here's what happens when we become a Christian, when we were a believer in Jesus and, and he gives us new life and we enter into a relationship with him and now we're called to be a disciple. Everything around us changes. Our relationships change. Every relationship that we have in life is going to be changing now. And that's what's so beautiful about God giving us the local church because he wants to take individual members, remember? We're all individuals and now he wants to put us together in this big dysfunctional family that we call the church. Because we all bring in like our, all our baggage and all of our troubles and, and all the things, all our different personality types and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, how, how is it that God can take so many people from so many different walks of life, from so many different upbringings and su- such different contexts in life, and he puts us all together and we become one body, one family. It's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in life. The local church is amazing to me. I love the local church. And you represent that today. And so this is, the, this is the beautiful thing about the local church. And I just want to share from Ephesians chapter 4 with you this morning. 
Because Paul, he says it so well in Ephesians 4 when it comes to, okay, now you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And he gives us some, some descriptions and some characteristics of us as individuals. And what are, what are we supposed to bring into the local church and to the collective body of Christ? Look at Ephesians 4.1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness and with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Because listen, listen to what it says. There is one body, one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now listen to what it says in verse 7. But grace was given to each one. Each one of you, of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. When God saved you, He took you as you were, your personality, your natural abilities, and he took who you were and he added spiritual gifts to you. When you have the Holy Spirit living in you, now the Holy Spirit gives you these gifts that you didn't have before. And there's a purpose why you have spiritual gifts. Because he wants to take you and he wants to put you in a body. And just like our own bodies have many what? Many members and our fingers are important and our ears are important and even our pinky toe keeps us balanced, right? In other words, every single member is important. Every single member matters. And what you bring to this local church is that you matter because you are contributing a special and unique gift that this church needs as you operate in your giftedness in the local church is what this local church needs to be effective and to function and to be healthy and strong, okay? And that's what this is all about. And he wants to use your personality to the glory of God. He wants to use your natural abilities. God doesn't forsake all of that. He wants to take you and how you've been raised and what you've learned and what you bring to the table. But the main thing I need you to see, he wants you to be a contributor to the local church, not a consumer. And I think that many times what's happened in our culture is that, that we've been so seeker sensitive and we, we want to appeal to the flesh so much and we want to keep people entertained and we want to make sure that we don't offend anybody is that we've created a church culture. And when I say we, I'm not necessarily saying Christ church. I, I don't believe that. But I think overall in the North American culture with you know, modern evangelical culture, we've created this, this system that is more about consumers. What do you want? What do you need? And we try to do everything that we can do to appeal and satisfy the customer because we, by all means, we don't want you to get angry and what? And leave. But that's not the local church. The local church says, no, you're to come in and contribute. You're to be a giver, a contributor, somebody who's using your gifts and abilities to help build up the church, not to see what you can get out of the church. John F. Kennedy, you know, don't, not what you can do for your country, but what your country can do for you. It's that whole principle, right? It's what can you do for your church through the giftedness of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. Listen to what he says to the church in Corinth. He says, all of these are empowered by one and the same spirit. He's talking about spiritual gifts who apportions to each one individually. As he wills. But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. 
You see what he's saying there? It's individualistic, and yet at the same time, it's corporate. You're, you're a member on the team. I mean, there's so many different illustrations and analogies. You can, I'm a sports guy. You can talk about baseball teams, football teams. Every single player on the team has a role to play, right? That's what you are here in the life of this church. And so when we talk about each one, that's what I'm really trying to get down to. You've got to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You're personally responsible to trust him. He calls you into a daily commitment to walk with him in committed discipleship, that, that you're, you're, you're to follow Jesus as Lord wherever he is willing to lead you and you're willing to go. And number three, he places you in this body. He places you in a church for you to exercise your gifts and abilities to help build this church and become a contributing member to the life of this church. And here's the thing I want you to understand. We don't need superstars. We need everyday, ordinary people. Do do you qualify for that? There's nothing wrong with that. That's who God wants to use. Think about who God used in the scripture. Think about David. He's just a little old what? A little shepherd boy. Nothing special. God used him, right? Think about Zacchaeus, tax collector. Matthew, tax collectors, hated by the rest of their people. God said, I'll use you. Think about Abraham. Abraham was an old man. We got any seniors in the house? Think God can still use you? He sure used Abraham and Sarah in their season of life if they were in their older ages. Think about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Do you know how old Mary probably was? Maybe 14. Got any teenage girls in the house? Think God can still use you? What about Peter and John when they're preaching on the, after the day of Pentecost and, the, and people are being saved right there in Jerusalem and they're, br- they're brought before the Sanhedrin and they're testifying to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and they look at these two guys and they're like, hey, these are a bunch of hillbilly fishermen. They're ordinary, untrained men. You know what they meant? They're not even educated. They're not educated in a theological degree. They, we've got PhDs. These guys are fishermen. Guess who God used to turn the whole world upside down? A bunch of ordinary fishermen, tax collectors, untrained people. What should that that remind you and me of today? God wants to use you. You matter. You're important. This is his purpose. This is his design, okay? He's not looking for people with theological degrees. Those things are good. They're important, whatever. He's looking for the body of Christ to function as he called it to function. Now, I'm going to give you five ways, practical ways, where we can begin to reach people. Okay, so that's each one. We got it? Each one includes who? Who's it include? That's right. (laughs) Pretty clear, right? That's you. That's me. It's all of us. That's who God wants to use to accomplish this vision. Now, five practical ways to reach others. Elders... Pastors, preachers, in Ephesians 4, it says that God gave elders, pastors, preachers, teachers. He gave us our, our job in the life of the church, okay, because we have a role too. 
As shepherds, again, we're called to be directional leaders. We're called to cast vision. We're called to say, hey, we're going to that mountain over there, and this is how we got to go. This is where we're going to go to get there. Will you follow me? That's our job as shepherds. But the other job as shepherds is this, is that God says we are called to equip you to do the work of what? The ministry. Think about it, guys. If I'm a professional Christian... That's what a lot of people look at a pastor. Hey, you get paid to do this, man. So you, you should be out talking to people about Jesus, right? Because that's your job. It's your job too. Now think about it. If we left this building today and I walked out there and I'm living out my professional Christian duties and I'm sharing the gospel and studying the word and being a committed disciple and none of you are, I'm not saying you're not, but I'm just saying theoretically, and none of you are, that's one person out in the world. Now, flip the script for just a second and think about every single one of you right now, this collective army of believers and disciples, when we leave this building and we go out into the world and all of us are living out our faith and making disciples and being his witnesses everywhere that we go and wherever that we go, man, think about the impact we all of a sudden have on this community. That's what we're talking about. It's my job to equip you to do the work. I do the work too, but it's my job to give you the tools to do the work. And that's what this is all about, okay? So let's look at five ways that we're going to emphasize coming up in the next few months and even going into next year. We're going to have five simple ways to give you and equip you and help you know how do you reach your neighbor? How do you fulfill the Great Commission? Ready? Number one, reach through praying. Groundbreaking stuff right here, right? But, but we can't overlook this. It all has to begin and start by praying. Listen to what Paul says to the church in Colossia, Colossae. I love this. Listen to what he says, Colossians 1, 9 through 4. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. This is Paul's prayer for the church. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you. Listen, you have been qualified to do this. He's qualified you. To share in the inheritance of the saints in light because he's delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you hear Paul's language right here? He's like, this is what I pray for you, for our people. Since you grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, you bear fruit. You grow in wisdom and knowledge and understanding. That's what we're called to do. Now listen, the reason that we reach through prayer first is because two things have to happen. Number one, we have to learn how to pray for who? ourselves because if we're if we're talking about a radical shift and really being his really carrying out the great commission in our reaching one at a time person if we haven't been doing that then it's going to be a foreign concept to us it's not going to feel natural to us at first is it just like anything else new it's not natural so we have to spend time praying for ourselves. and then here's the next thing i want to share with you who's your one We don't have to stop at one, but let's just start with one. And everybody in this room, I already know, in your heart right now, God's saying, there's one person in your life. I'm not talking about the stranger at the corner store. I'm talking about the person you already know. 
a friend, a family member, a neighbor, a child, a coworker. And God's saying, this is your one. So as you pray for yourself daily, you also pray for who? Pray for one person at a time. Keep it simple, okay? And let God, and see what happens. And, and there's a whole other, you know, again, I'm just trying to lay the overview because I know i got to move a little more quickly. But just think about the principle of reaching people through prayer. Number two, we reach through seeing. This is a big one for me. Turn to Acts chapter 3. I shared this at our congregational meeting. i got to share it again. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible, Acts chapter 3. Listen to this. There's a beggar. Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer and a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. This is a poor, lame beggar. He's got nothing. He can't help himself. He's dependent 100% on people just throwing in a few pennies to his pot as they pass by. And seeing Peter and John, he calls out. And look at verse 4, Acts 3. And Peter directed his gaze at him as John did and they said look at us most people would pass this beggar every day and would never make what wouldn't even make matter of fact that's why we flip the channel when we see the starving children where they're trying to raise money for the children who are starving what do we do when we see the kids flip the channel I don't I don't want to see that it's human nature because we know that if we actually look at another human being with compassion because they're made in the image of God and we look at them in their greatest time of need, it's going to do something in us. It's going to b- create some type of a feeling or, or a gut-wrenching feeling in our, in our soul to know that we're called to look at them and see them through God's eyes. To be able to stop long enough in our hectic and our busy schedules... In our day-to-day life, as we run, 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 and we've got it all laid out, and we think we know where we're supposed to be going, and we pass by people every single day that I believe, and listen, I'm not perfect at this. I struggle with this too, because it's my schedule. Don't mess with my schedule, right? We're all so busy, right? We're self-absorbed culture. We're taking selfies, and it's all about us. But God is saying, no, I want you to see other people through my eyes and I want you to be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that when you cross your path with someone else that I put there for a reason, that you stop. And the first step is just see them. Look in their eyes. And then see what God does. Number three, we reach through serving. Guess how much talent it takes To serve somebody. How much talent do you have to have to serve somebody else? Zero. How much Bible knowledge do you have to have to serve another human being? Zero. How many people are we serving? Now here's the key when it comes to serving. Again, as your pastors, I will give you many practical ways and ideas 
to know how to serve your neighbor, to know how to serve people in need. That's our job. We're going to present opportunities. We're going to present options for you. It doesn't have to be what we share with you because if you're being sensitive and you just look around you, you're going to find plenty of opportunities. There are endless opportunities to what? To serve. Here's the key. We do this without any expectation of anything in return. We're not serving them so that they come to Christ's church. We're not serving them so that we can pat ourselves on the back. We're not serving them so that we can check our list off and say, Brother Marcus, I reached my one today. That's not what this is about. This is about cultivating a lifestyle of understanding that God asked us to be considerate of others and to deny ourselves. And Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to what? But to serve. Guys, when you start reaching people through serving them and they see that you don't have any agenda and there's no expectation for anything in return, that will get people's attention. That will earn credibility for you to be able to now eventually share your faith with them or maybe share the love of Christ with them or maybe just build a relationship with them to earn trust with them. That's what we're called to do. Number four. I like this one. Reach through bringing. Turn to John chapter 1. I'm almost done, guys. Y'all stay with me. John 1. One of my favorite passages in all the scripture. John chapter 1. I'm going to begin in verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So so just to set the context, John the Baptist sees Jesus perhaps for the first time kind of entering into the public and he's got disciples following him and he stops and he points to Jesus and what does he say? Take a look, guys. There's the Messiah. There's the Lamb of God. You need to leave me and do what? You need to go follow him. Now listen to what it says. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, immediately after knowing and seeing Jesus, he looks at Jesus, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ, and what did he do? He brought him to Jesus. How simple was that? Hey brother, we met the Messiah. Come on. Let's go, let's go see. It, d- it doesn't stop there. Look at what it says. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip, look at what it says. Philip immediately found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then Nathanael kind of gives him, you know, he kind of bucks it a little bit. He says, Can anything good come, from, come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Now listen. 90% of people who visit a church for the very first time, they don't come because we have sermons on the internet. They don't come because we put a banner on the street. They don't come because we have great programs and, you know, uh, fall festivals. They come, why? Because you, what do you do? 
you invite them. How hard is that? 90% of the people that will attend a church for the very first time will be there because they are invited or brought by a friend or a family member. And guys, how many times are we doing that? What would happen today, next week, if you just brought one person with you? We would have to be taking out some more what? Some more chairs, right? It's so simple, guys. But it's cultivating a lifestyle. Now again, there's no agenda here, but it is bringing people. And listen, I would encourage you to invite them into your home as well. Don't just say, okay, I invite you to the church. Hey, let's go out to eat. Come over for dinner. And then, hey, by the way, would you want to come to church? And listen, be specific. Do this. Say, hey, guess what? I'll come meet you. I'll come to your house at, eight, at, at 9.30 in the morning and you can follow me to church and we'll go together. Or we'll come and pick you up from the house. Listen, be specific. But God is calling you and me to bring people to Jesus. Now, yeah, you can lead them to Jesus in your own personal witness, but you know one of the greatest things you can do for somebody? is get them where? Just get them here. Under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Okay? And number five, we reach through witnessing and our job, and I will say our commitment to you, is that we want to give you practical tools to learn how to share your faith. How to take a conversation in the office. Man, did y'all see Altuve hit a walk-off home run last night against the Yankees and now they're going to the World Series? And yeah, man, that was awesome, right? Yeah, man, do you know about that guy's faith? Like he's a, he's a faithful Christian. Did you know that? No, I, di- I didn't know that. Yeah, you know, matter of fact, you know, I mean, I, did you know I'm a Christian too? And man, it's, it, just, it means everything to me that, you know, God has done so much for me in my life and, and, he, and he saved me at a young age or what, whatever it is. You see what I'm saying? I just took a baseball conversation and turned it into a what? A spiritual conversation. That's what I'm talking about when I say be witnesses. And the other thing is learning your testimony and knowing how to use your testimony to share what God has done in your life, how he saved you, how he's faithful to you, how you have a relationship with him. Guys, these are ways that we want to help you carry out the Great Commission. Ready? Last thing. So we reach one, reach one, but this is what makes it even better. And then once we can reach one person at a time, now God has placed it upon us to do what? Let's teach them. And that's what discipleship is. We we fail sometimes to to define the simplest things in church. What is discipleship? Can Can I give you a couple of quick definitions about discipleship? You ready? Discipleship is learning how to talk and walk. Like who? Like Jesus. Discipleship is how, learning how to believe and behave. Like who? Like Jesus. Discipleship is learning how to develop the attitude and the actions of who? Jesus. Discipleship is learning how to always grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus. Listen, here's what I'm going to say about this because I got to close. Discipleship is two ways and three ways. You ready? Two ways and three ways. Number one, discipleship involves teaching the Word of God. Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations. And He said, Teach them everything that I what? Commanded you. So we are to teach them the Word of God. That's doctrine. But we also have to teach them practice. Okay? Don't just be hearers of the Word, but be what? Doers, that's discipleship. You know what the Word says, now go and 
Do it. Put it into practice. That's part of discipleship. The other way that discipleship is two ways is that you've got to be willing to invest in somebody and you've got to be willing to allow somebody to what? Invest in you. It goes both ways. And so when we think about how discipleship is so important, it does take both parties to be committed in a discipleship relationship. But I'm promising you guys that if we will be serious about reaching people, God is going to give us the opportunity to start teaching people. Amen? So as we go, here's my question for you. As our praise team gets prepared and they're going to lead us in another song before we close out. As we go, who's your one? We don't have to end with one, but we got to start there. Do you know why the majority of Christians today don't feel comfortable sharing their own faith? Because they don't feel confident. How many of you have ever started a new job? The first day you don't feel very what? Confident. But you train that day and you train the next day. And after about a week you're like, hey, I think I can get the hang of this, right? And then after a year you can do that job blindfolded. Why? Because you practice. Guys, we got to start practicing, sharing our faith. And we may mumble and stumble and say the wrong thing, you know, ten times before we get it right. But unless we start practicing, we will never become confident in sharing our faith. And that's our job to help you learn how to become more confident in reaching one person at a time. And I make a promise and a commitment to you that we're going to do that, Okay? But as we close tonight, today, I just want to challenge you. Who's your one? And you can go ahead and start. What's the first step of reaching somebody? What are we going to start doing? Let's start praying, okay? Let's just start praying for ourselves and praying for that one. And then let's see what God does. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for a, a simple vision, Lord, that's not complex. But, Lord, they're just simple tools that we can use to become more effective witnesses and and disciples of Jesus Christ and help us to remember God this is not for our glory Lord this is so that when we get to stand before you that we have something to present to you we have souls that you allowed us to touch and bring to Jesus so that we can lay them down at your feet and say, thank you, God, that you were able to allow me to be a part of what you're doing. I thank you, Lord, for this church. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said.
Give God a, a wonderful clap offering after that, y'all. It's just beautiful. Um, real quick, just to be reminded, I'm trying to look at some of the um, announcements. Is there anything, guys, that I'm maybe some of the other elders that, that I'm missing here? Thank you for everybody who did come out yesterday for our help group. It was just amazing. I don't know how many people we served, but it was a lot. And uh, one, of the, one of the great days that we've had, um, and I encourage you all to, to continue to be a part of that, and thank you for everyone who is a part of that. Um, so other than that, obviously our, our black boxes, don't forget them. You guys faithfully have been so faithful to give uh, and to contribute to the work of this ministry, and I just thank you and encourage you to continue to do that so that we can continue to uh, fulfill the Great Commission together. And so before we go, I'm going to ask Mr. Steve Nance, if he would, just come up and uh, close us in a, in a word of prayer, and uh, then we'll be dismissed.